pushing back the darkness, lighting up the kingdom that cannot be shaken. In the name of Jesus, enemies defeated, we will shout it out, shout it out. God is fighting for us, pushing back the darkness, lighting up the kingdom that cannot be shaken. In the name of Jesus, enemies defeated, we will shout it out, shout it out. God is fighting for us, pushing back the darkness, lighting up the kingdom that cannot be shaken. In the name of Jesus, enemies defeated.
lives within me, Christ who lives within me.
Amen. Hey, uh, take just a moment. I want you to turn to the person next to you, shake their hand, and tell them it's good to see them in church today. Looks like we're gonna to have to review what the person next to you means. <laughs> I know, that's all right. So, um, you know, for most of you, it looks like that's pretty easy, right? Uh, that's good. So we have a very important Sunday on the Christian calendar coming up. Anybody know what that's it? What that is? Easter. I'm, I'm glad that three of you are in tune to that. Um, so it's very good. So yeah, two weeks from today, we will be celebrating Resurrection Sunday. Uh, that we know is Easter Sunday. And this is the service of the year where the ch where churches see the greatest attendance uh, and the greatest number of guests who come. And the second is Mother's Day, which is you know just a, about a month later. So one of the things that uh, we have discovered in, in looking at various different uh, models of folks who come to services and it's their first time is that for someone to really feel welcome and for someone to uh, maybe even want to come back, there's uh, six touches that are needed. Now, that doesn't mean you go up to somebody and poke them six times, because I could see a couple of you trying to do that, but, um, right, that'd be fun. So one of the things that we are doing is we're expanding our greeters for that day, and we're going to have multiple touches. So uh, I know Isaac's been working on this, talked to a few. I, I saw that back there. Uh, I saw you. Anyway, um, so we're going to have a couple of folks in the, in, in the parking lot, and that'll be touch number one. As folks get out of their car, just, you know, don't sneak up on them and scare them or anything like that. Just from a, you know, hey, welcome this morning. And if they're guests, you know, make sure they know which door to enter and just let them know that you're really excited to see them here. And then when they get to the door, there's going to be a couple other folks that are here to open the doors for them and welcome them, them once again, which is another important thing. And then one of the big changes that's going to be for Easter Sunday, there'll be a couple more uh, greeters, uh, ushers inside here, our auditorium, our sanctuary area, and they will be the ones giving out bulletins and we will have a, a, gift, a gift pack for our, uh, our guests that morning as well. And so they will also help them find seats because... Uh, I don't know if you've ever gone into a church before, it's your first time, and, um, and you're kind of like, I'm not sure where to set, you know, uh, because typically we don't want to set in the front pew, right? Uh, yeah, see, you're laughing because you know that's true. So 
uh, you know, for those of us who, uh, who invite somebody, make sure you maybe keep room close to you to, to have them sit, sit nearby you. And for those of us who maybe sit in the same place every week, make sure, see, you're laughing again because you know it's true, right? You just like, I mean, that's, you know, pastor can just make a quick look and he knows who's gone because there's these spots that are empty, you know, so-and-so sits there. So, so be aware of that. And if you come in and someone's already sitting in your place, please don't ask them to move. Just find <laughs> another place, okay? Don't tell them that's your seat because they will get up and they will leave is what will happen, right? So uh, I know you can't imagine doing that, but it has happened before. Not here, but I will guarantee you because I know somebody it happened to. Um, but anyway, they get t touched again in here. And then if you see somebody and you don't know them, go over. And, you're, and if you're like, you know what, I'm not sure if they've been here before. Uh, you don't have to go over and say, hey, is this your first time? You don't have to do that. You can go over and say, hey, how long have you been attending BCC? And if it's their first time, they will tell you. And no awkwardness, right? It's just kind of cool that way. And then, of course, when Pastor gets up, uh, he, will, he will greet them again. Uh, uh, Meredith will greet folks again. And then we will greet them while they're leaving. And by the time that they leave, we will have touched them six times. How many times? Six. At least six. And if you go over and help us, we might hit magic number seven. How about that? Woo! So we want to make sure that our guests feel comfortable because we want them back, don't we? Amen. Right? Um, here's a stat. They are estimating that 20%, maybe as high as 25% of churches will have to close because of all the damage that was done by COVID. Think about that. So it is possible that this Easter many churches will see a 20% increase in their uh, first-time guests. All right, because things are starting to open up, people are getting back to church, and surveys have showed us that's one of the things that people say that they are missing. They say online is great, but I just can't connect online, right? So uh, let's help people connect when they come back. Can we do that? Amen. All right. Everybody got that? Yes. Say yes. Amen. Got it. All right, good. Now, if you would like to be a part of this formally, you can see Isaac, because he's recruiting more folks to help with that. Uh, so the more people we have helping with that, the more that gets done. We will need a couple, couple of, we'll call them greeter floaters, okay? Um, and that will help, like, if we need, if there's a new family, they need to know where the nursery, kids' church is. That helps them, okay? You, you will be able to take them and show them, introduce them to the people that are in there. So we wanted to take just a moment and kind of do a uh, quick informal training. How many of you feel trained? Amen. Right? Look at all those hands, Isaac. Those are all the people that are ready to be on your team. Amen. So, uh, so we want to do this next song. And it, um, it asks God to just flood the earth with his glory. And I tell you what, I would be perfectly fine for him to flood this room with his glory this morning. Wouldn't you? Yes. Could you just lift your hands to the Lord? Father, Lord, we need you. We need you, God. And we ask that you would just flood this place with your glory this morning. That you would bring healing. You'd bring restoration. You'd bring wholeness. You'd bring encouragement, God. Lord, each of us are here from a different place, from a uh, different circumstance in this week. And I just ask that you would minister to each and every one of us.
Hallelujah. God is so good to us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I am so uh, excited as we approach uh, Resurrection Sunday. There are uh, there are significant days that happen um, throughout the the church world, um, but Resurrection Sunday is definitely one of those moments that has the ability to reach um, people like uh, never before. We're excited about um, being open. Yeah. Being open. You know, I every week I see different churches that are still um, advertising that they're online only. And uh, and, and, it, and it breaks my heart to, to hear about the number of churches that are going to close. You know, uh, it is one of those difficult moments. Um, you know, I, I realize it's, it's part of the, the life structure of any church. You know, there's a beginning and an end to everything. Um, but it breaks my heart when a church closes. And so we do need to pray for those uh, congregations that are struggling right now. And it's not our desire that, you know, we uh, steal any members from another church. Uh, but we also want to be available. Um, we want to be open and there for when people are looking. And there are going to be people that haven't attended church for some time. And this is going to be an opportunity for them to uh, come out for the first time and even as uh, uh, as Pastor Willie was sharing on these touches you know we have to be sensitive some will be coming in where they may not want a handshake and and it's not necessarily a physical touch but it is an acknowledgement of how thankful we are that they're here and, and I love how how Pastor Willie said you know just say how long have you been attending here because we don't want to come across and say Man, is this your first time? Especially if they've been here three times and you've missed them. Because then it says we're not observant. And um, so we have to be careful with our wording. But we genuinely want them to know that we're glad they're here. And uh, that means you're going to have to have a smile on your face. And you're going to have to be glad you're here. <laughs> um, and I'm not saying world is perfect that you've not had any issues at home. But um, that should not affect your ability to worship uh, the resurrected Savior. So, praise God. You can uh, be seated this morning. Thank you for your participation in, in worship today. Praise God. There are a um, couple events coming up you need to be aware of. This coming Friday is Elevate. And so excited about our young people going out to that. But it's also an outreach event for those who are not going to elevate that um, Isaac has been organizing to go down to um, the RTA ministry. And so I'm going to invite Isaac up real quick to just share about that because I, I want you to understand what's going on, what's required of you, because we want you to participate if you can. 
So we're, meet, we're leaving here 5.30 Friday to go to the RTA hub in downtown Dayton. Um, I know Gina had asked, we need to wear a mask. Um, nobody there wears a mask, but if anybody wants to come and wear a mask, that's more than fine. Um, also, Gene asked if a 10-year-old could come. Tim said that's fine if a 10-year-old comes. Obviously, you just got to have to keep a close eye on them, but, but that's okay. Um, so what it is is downtown at the RTA hub, there's a lot of people in and out. Um, so what they do is they set up some tents and they pass out food and water and then um, ask if they can pray for anybody and the spirit moves from there. So uh, we're going to go over there and experience that and share Jesus with others and then bring that back and uh, get some ideas for outreach of our own. Um, and then also two weeks from today, 6 p.m., we're having the men's group downstairs. Um, it's on the death and resurrection of Christ. So end of the four Gospels, read up on those, and we'll discuss those and watch a video about it too. So, Perfect. Thank you. Also, this coming Saturday is a work day. I was hoping a few more people were going to be excited about that. Next week. So, um, Saturday, we're going to do a work day right here at the church starting at 10 o'clock. Now, here's what I'm, I'm promising you. Number one, it's going to be fun. I have one more person excited about that. No, <laughs> two more, okay. Number two, there's going to be food. <laughs> you just had to, you had to entice people right with the right thing. I, I tell you what, if you're here at 10 o'clock, I'm going to have donuts for you. Donuts always work for people, right? Um, and we already have the Keurig, so you can get your own coffee or you can bring what you want. Um, we're going to have pizza and some other things. Miss Martha is already throwing around some ideas for some desserts to add to pizza. Because, um, you know, um, donuts with pizza. <laughs> um, dessert pizza works too, that's right. So... Um, Bring out your uh, yard implements, you know, if you have edgers and weed eaters, and uh, we're going to have my trailer up here, so we're going to pick up, you know, all the branches throughout the church, uh, or not the church, uh, throughout the park, the yard, and uh, we're going to edge everything, we're going to move some of these blocks down here that have gotten pushed off into the, the grass from uh, the, the plowing this year, and several other, we're going to have a whole list of items, there's going to be some work inside, we've got closets downstairs in the youth room, as well as the fellowship hall, that are going to be completely emptied, and we're going to get rid of stuff. And so it is going to be, uh, it's going to be a genuine uh, work day to get ready for People coming out for Easter, okay? And also because we have not done a spring cleaning day um, for a number of years now. And uh, the church always has a way of accumulating stuff because anytime someone is done with something and they don't know what to do with it, it goes into a closet. And one of the closets downstairs is so bad you can't even get into it. So we have work to do. We're going to get rid of things that are broken, um, and I'm not talking people. We all want you here. So if you're limping in, we're not throwing you out. Just 
we want you to come out and work and have fun and be part of the body of Christ, okay? So work with me on that. Be here. There's worship practice from 8 to 10 next Saturday. And then we're going right after that. So we're going to start up and we're going to get all these different projects uh, done. And so appreciate your involvement. Also, for those of you that uh, have been uh, praying about this, um, we have placed our order for getting all the main doors replaced. So um, the, uh, the company said it will probably not be done by Easter unless a miracle happens just because he said they were already about six weeks behind. And I said, well, if you can move us up any, you know, uh, we'll throw in a donut or something, you know. Um, but no, I just, uh, we, we, we always pray for favor. But uh, so we uh, praise God. We've got all the funds taken care of for uh, the door project. And we've got some other projects we're working on. And we want you to be participating. And then I've been talking to you about the, the new church app, uh, the new church communication program, which is called Breeze Church Management System. And so you could go on there and download that over the next... Uh, Wednesday is supposed to be our day that the company works with us in importing all of our information. And so they're going to help us in that process. And then once that's done... And we go in there and figure out a few things. Hopefully by this coming weekend, you're going to get an email or a text message uh, telling you to go in and set up your account. Uh, you won't be able to do anything until we send that to you, but you can download it um, before then. And you can, you can access it on your computer or on your phone. And so it's going to have lots of flexibilities. Now, it's not going to be like our current church app, which gives you the ability to track all the, you know, the different interactions with everybody in the group. But you're going to be able to, you know, have access to information where if you want to send a happy birthday to uh, Paul, which, uh, you know, Paul is celebrating a birthday, you know, you can, you, you can text Paul directly right from the app. Now, I know some of you say I had to silence it because, you know, we got 40 notifications wishing somebody happy birthday. Listen, you're not going to have that. It's, you're going to be able to go direct. But all of our leaders are going to be able to send things out in, in group text messages to all the different people or emails. So you'll still have an idea of the things that are going on. I just want you to be aware it's going to be a little different than what we've been doing, but it's going to be better. Uh, it's going to take us down to another path, all right? So get ready. It's coming uh, hopefully this week, all right? All right. How many of you are um, people who have gone out target shooting before? Okay. I went out with someone once, and uh, they were shooting a gun, and they just kept shooting. And I said, well, what are you aiming at? And I said, he said, I'm just shooting. <laughs> it's like, you're guaranteed to hit whatever you're you know, going for when you're just shooting. Um, I, I went, um, when I lived in South Dakota, I had a friend that took me out. Um, to the gun range down there. It was an outdoor gun range and everything, and um, I was amazed <laughs> at how hard it is to hit a target. You know, you'd think, you know, 30 feet, you know, uh, it's like for me to Kyle, anybody should be able to hit something like that, right? No. Wrong, <laughs> I used the wrong eye. You'd be in real trouble because I, I might hit Jerry. Um, but um, every, every motion can cause you to be off just a little bit. 
And see, if, I, if I'm off from here to where I sit in the front row, if I'm off just an inch, I'm still going to hit the thing I'm going for. You know, but that inch when I'm aiming at Kyle, I probably will hit Donna. And Donna wouldn't appreciate that. Because the, the further out you get, that, that gap goes out considerably. And I started to think about how Jesus was trying to hit some targets with his disciples. You know, he, he had a time limit. You realize that even though Jesus is eternal, he had a time limit while he was here? And you're thinking, well, if he wouldn't have spent the first, you know, so many years in preparation. Hey, God's timing is perfect, right? And when Jesus entered the scene, it was the time for him to enter the scene. And he had a three-year window to prepare the disciples for what they were going to be doing for the rest of their life. Three years. Now, you think, well, that's not a lot of time. But... He was with them almost every day for those three years. You know, he, was, he spent a lot of time with them. He invested. He corrected. Uh, he didn't just hang out with them. He made sure that he taught them the right things to do as well as the things not to do. Because he knew he had a timeline, he had a window. He had a target that he was aiming for. And so today as I introduce this, this next area, we're going to go through a lengthy passage of Scripture in John chapter 11. And um, I don't have just one point. What we're going to do is we're going to walk through the experience of John 11 as we are introduced to this, this Lazarus moment. And, and I pray that you can understand how being off just a little bit can have such drastic effects on how we approach life. And, and my goal is, my hope is, that we will see, we'll at least get a picture on how far off we are from where God wants us to be. Because regardless of where you're at, the reality is we probably have some work to do to get to where God wants us to be. We have not arrived. You need to get to that place where you are hitting the target every shot. And that takes a lot of work. When I... Uh, watch individuals that are, are really proficient at this hitting the target, you know, they talk about that they go to the gun range, some of them go out shooting every single day to be ready. I was watching a video about uh, this guy who was a, uh, he was a sniper. <laughs> and, uh, and, and we're not talking, you know, from me to Kyle, you know, we're talking, you know, he was shooting, you know, distances, you know, you know, uh, you know, hundreds of yards out with a high-powered scope. 
He, he was having to take in factors like humidity and wind and all these other things. And he could hit the target every time. You know, you realize one simple flinch of your finger can cause you to be off. God wants us to be so proficient at what we're doing that we are hitting the target every day. So let me give you a little background as we get into John 11. As we are, as we uh, as we approach the resurrection of Jesus Christ in just a, a couple weeks for our celebration, we have to understand some of the things that led up to this experience. So this is some background on the passage. This is about a month before his own death and resurrection. Uh, he visited Bethany and performed his third miracle, which is the raising of Lazarus. Um, no one knows how often he visited the home of the sisters, Mary and Martha, and their brother, Lazarus, but Scripture records some of his visits. We know that this family was visited more frequently than any other family. So Scripture records four of them for us, Matthew 21, 17, Mark 11, 11, and 19, Luke 10, 41, and 42, and then in what we're dealing with in John 11. So this is, a, um, this is a common occurrence where Jesus visited with this family. They had relationship. Also, when you look at um, this event, the resurrection is the most extraordinary uh, event. Um, it is, is one of the most extraordinary things of the f works of the flesh. While he, excuse me, not works of the flesh, works while he was in the flesh. When Jesus walked on the earth, the, the, one of the most amazing th miracles that he participated in was in the resurrection of several individuals. Now, Lazarus was not his first. Jesus raised uh, the daughter of Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue up in Galilee, and he raised the daughter um, or he raised the son of the widow of Nain in Galilee. So he had had some other events where he had raised someone from the dead. But this, this event was different and significant for one reason. Um, these individuals that Jesus had raised prior, their death was relatively recent. Where... Lazarus had been dead for four days. Now back then, they didn't, you know, for the Jewish culture, now in, in, in the uh, Egyptian culture, they believed in a level of mummification. And they could preserve a body for a long period of time. But for, for the Jewish culture, that is not their practice. They, they would put someone into a, a, a tomb, into their grave as soon as possible. Once death happened. And so by day four, there's a lot of decomposition. <laughs> this, this person um, was going to smell. There was going to be no question regarding this person being, you know, dead. 
And as we get into this, you're going to see Martha's argument regarding that very subject. As she says, you know, he is going to stink. (laughs) The uh, King James says, uh, by now he stinketh. And that's a, that's a good way to process that. He, he, he would, the stench would be so significant that as soon as you rolled that, that stone away, everyone outside of that, that tomb would know <laughs> that there was someone dead there. It's, it's like those scenes you see in some of the, uh, the, the police movies as they're approaching, uh, standing at a door of a house, getting ready to go in, and they, they can already smell the decomposing corpse inside. It is such a significant smell. So that's why this event is even separated from other resurrection events because of the the number of days separating the the death to the point that Jesus shows up. So as we look into that, I want you to have that awareness. The other thing I think is interesting to look at is the, the name Lazarus comes from the Greek word Lazarus, which means whom God helps. Now, how many can believe that Lazarus needed a little bit of help at this moment? Now, there are going to be those that say that, you know, for Lazarus, he probably would have wished that everybody left him alone, right? My wife has told me many times that when she gets to that moment, do not pray her back, let her go. I am still wrestling with that very fact, but I know we've got some time there, right? Now, I know her wishes, but uh, I also know what I want to keep around me. So, so I want you to understand that all of this is, the, uh, is a precursor to the triumphal entry. This is, this is leading up to Jesus' last days. So let's open up to John chapter 11. It says, a man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. Now I think it's interesting here, and and you'll find today that my my plan is to walk through just giving some insight through the passages as we go. I think it's interesting that the author gives us a glimpse into an event that hasn't happened yet, okay? This event that he's referring to happens in the next chapter, all right? So we're getting just a glimpse into something that hasn't happened as of yet. That's why he says, uh, who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped it with her hair. These individuals had some significant relationship with Jesus. As a matter of fact, in in Luke chapter 10, we also have the opportunity to experience another moment that sets Mary apart. Because in this passage, you know, she is uh, sitting at the feet of Jesus and her sister Martha, does anybody remember where she was? She was in the kitchen working. And what was her complaint? Her, her complaint was Mary 
was sitting there at the feet of Jesus doing nothing. And what did Jesus tell her? Mary chose the better thing. So we already are, if you start taking in the picture of this, we already have an understanding that Mary has a very intimate relationship with Jesus. She is, she is taking several moments in their time together to be at his feet. It is a very comfortable place for her. Now, there are those individuals, and some of you are some of those people, that you find more energy out of serving than just sitting at somebody's feet. You have to be doing something. How, is there anybody out there like that, that you feel more comfortable when you're doing 40 things than just sitting there waiting for the next word to come out of the mouth of someone important? Now, it doesn't speak down to Martha. What Martha was doing was important. But we also have to learn the lesson that sometimes we have to quit being Martha and, and take a merry moment. All right? So in our passage, Mary comes to, or uh, Jesus comes to their house. Um, Excuse me, let's go to verse 3. So it says, So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your, your dear friend is very sick. I, I love how the, the, the King James, New King James says, The one whom you love. This request came with expectation. The one whom you love is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, another thing that, you know, it's interesting to point out, he could have said, although Jesus loved them, <laughs> actually, he, he specifically acknowledges both or all three parties. He says, although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. I'm going to stop there for a moment and pray. Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom as we navigate this passage, as we navigate this chapter, that we can get a better understanding of, of what's going on in this setting and in us. Give us wisdom, I pray. Amen. Now, does, there, there is no better way to communicate love than someone to send you a request saying, hey, I need you right now and for you to wait two more days, right? <laughs> if, if my wife texted me from home or wherever she was at and said, Ralph, I need you, she would not be accepting of me waiting two more days to get there. If I get a request from my daughters that say, Dad, I need you, the reality is, I mean, I am going to drop what I am doing to get there. <laughs> These sisters sent Jesus a messenger 
Now, how, do you know how long it took the messenger to get to Jesus? Two days. <laughs> so they sent a messenger on a two-day journey, and Jesus knew the time. They send Jesus on two day or this messenger on two day journey to go to Jesus, and he gets there and he says, "Hey Jesus, <laughs> um, the sisters sent me, um, the one who you love, Lazarus. Uh, he's really sick, and they need you to come right now." <laughs> Jesus, says, hey, hey, thanks. And then he waited two days. <laughs> we sometimes get wrapped up into um, how church. And life is supposed to happen. Because we, we have no idea really what tomorrow holds. Um, the truth is you don't know what the rest of this service holds. <laughs> the truth is I don't know what the rest of the service holds. And I've read this passage, you know, probably no less than 40 times this week. I probably yesterday alone went through this probably 20 times. I mean, I just, I kept processing. I, I had my Bible app. It was reading to me from the Message Bible and the NIV and the New Living and the ESV. And it was just, I was just going through. I just, I kept ra- trying to wrap my mind around this. But I, one thing I started to understand is I see things so in part. And I make my decisions based on partial information. And, and what we are introduced here in this situation is it's because Jesus loved them that he delayed two days. Because he says, All, although Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. As I was reading about this, several comments stood out to me. Number one, God's delays are not denials. Okay? (laughs) Just because God says wait doesn't mean he says it's not going to happen. If you start evaluating every delay from God as a no, then you're going to set yourself up for frustration day after day. And I believe that's where the sisters are as we get into that in a few more verses. See, what you perceive as a delay from God doesn't say anything about His timing. It says everything about your perspective and your timing. Because we like things the way we want them, right? We don't like waiting. Has anybody ever gotten frustrated at waiting at a fast food restaurant? And you've had to wait for five minutes, and you're thinking, this is fast food. I could have microwaved this thing in a minute. <laughs> See, we, we are, man, we're a microwave society, and when God says, hey, I'm working, you're thinking, eh, can you hurry up? God, God, let me tell you how to do this. That's a, that's a famous one. God, here, here's the best way to have this happen. God, here's the best time. This moment would be ideal for you to show up. And, and we have to sit back and say, how is God going to receive glory? Because the truth is, in the previous you know, verse that I shared, is, um, 
He says, Lazarus, in verse 4, Lazarus' sickness will not end to death. No, it happened for the glory of God, so the Son of God will receive glory from this. So, he's already acknowledging that Lazarus was going to die as part of the plan. God's timing has so much more to do with what glory goes to the Father than what we can understand. In verse 7 it says, Finally he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. He wanted to make sure that Lazarus was not just dead, but good and dead. Really dead. Not mostly dead where he's going through his pockets for loose change. For all of you princess bride people out there. If you haven't caught that, sorry, we'll talk later. We have a picture of what love is all about. How many of you have a love language that you know? Um, I probably have multiple love languages. I love physical touch. <laughs> you know, I, I tell my wife all the time that there are times when she just comes up and just touches me. There is a level of peace that goes in me. Now, I know some of you, because I've been around you long enough, that Physical touch is the furthest thing from your world for being a love language. I won't call you out, but everybody already knows. Um, (laughs) You can tell normally because those people that physical touch is not their love language, you go up and you, you try to hug them and it's like, you feel like they're almost like inside just, you know, shriveling up. Some people it's acts of service. You know, some it's uh, words of affirmation. There's a book on it, you know, there's a survey, you know. Let me just be honest. If you as a spouse don't know what your, your spouse's love language is, you've got some work to do and you better start sooner than later. We had a large uh, marriage counseling class down in Sunday school today. It was pretty significant. If you missed it, next week we will be picking up with part two. We were getting lots of wise counsel from, uh, um, <laughs> well, some of it is, is, we have kids here, so I can't share, so. I started thinking about Mary and Martha, how this, what was going on in their head? As the, the time that Jesus says it's time to go, their, their messenger just arrived back home without Jesus. And were they, were they thinking love? Were they angry? We have to change our glasses once in a while and learn to interpret, interpret our circumstances through the lens of love, the love of God rather than how we have viewed things. See, I, for years, I tried to love my wife the way I thought she would feel loved. I bought her things. Has any other man done that? I bought her lots of stuff in those earlier years. This will definitely show her that I love her. (laughs) And so what happens is we have lots of stuff. 
And yet she was still not feeling loved. And although in this moment, Mary and Martha probably were not feeling loved, what was about to happen was going to bring an awareness of some of the shortfalls in their own life. Because this relationship that they were leaning into, that they were relying on, wasn't as deep as it could be. And, and I think that's one of the, the moments that, that Jesus was preparing for, to take Mary and Martha, Mary and Martha deeper. One author shared it this way, what Mary and Martha wanted was a resuscitation of Lazarus, and Jesus wanted a resurrection of Lazarus. See, they, they just wanted him to live. You know, Jesus said, no, I, I want him to live again. Verse 8, but his disciples objected, and it's, do you find it amazing that even three years in on this relationships that the uh, disciples would still object with Jesus and tell him that, you know, hey, you're off here, buddy. <laughs> you're missing something. I think three years in. I mean, maybe for six months, and I say, no, Jesus, you probably should not do this. But three years, and they're still missing it. I wonder how much we miss it, how many years we've been walking with him. They objected and they said, only a few days ago the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going there again? I love Jesus' answer because I'm sure this cleared things up. Uh, there are 12 hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk in safely or walk safely. They can see because they have the light of this world. But at night, there is danger stumbling because uh, they have no light. I'm thinking, I'd come out of that situation thinking, I have no idea what he just said to me. I just told him not to go there because these, you know, these people are wanting to stone him and he says this. And I'm sure not one of the disciples had the courage to say, Jesus, what in the world are you talking about? Because none of them wanted to be that next one to, to say something to Jesus that he might be off. And then Jesus goes on, he says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. And the disciples said, Lord, if he's sleeping, he will soon get better. We don't need to go. Just let him sleep it off. How many of you have ever done that? I'm just going to sleep this off. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping. But Jesus meant Lazarus had died, and they missed it again. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sakes, I'm glad. I wasn't there for now. You will really believe. You will really believe. See, it's coming down to the heart problem. The disciples still had a belief problem. Every time you question what Jesus is trying to do, you have so much information with the entirety of Scripture at your hands, and yet you still question it when God leads you to do something See, it's not a knowledge thing, it's a belief thing. Because he wants you to really believe. Come, let's go see him. Thomas, nicknamed the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let's go too. 
and die with Jesus. You got to love Thomas. What a, what a response. You know, Jesus said, yeah, hey, Lazarus is dead. We're going to go see him. And Thomas jumps in. I don't know where it comes from. <laughs> like, hey, let's go. Let's go die with him. I'm thinking, hmm, well, let's just go, okay? Let's start with going first. In verse 17, when Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Jesus already knew it. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When, Mary, when Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Now, this is the same Mary that had been having these intimate moments at the feet of Jesus. And Martha, the servant, who was already able to voice her frustration when people didn't do what she expected them to do, she met Jesus. Not, not, she didn't welcome him in the home this time. She met him outside the city there. <laughs> Do you think Martha had a little bit of frustration? Verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, you can put whatever level of emphasis on that you want, but I, I would almost bet that there was a level of frustration knowing how Martha communicated earlier. Not only frustration, but hurt. Because she had sent an intimate letter to Jesus knowing he could fix the problem. 22, but even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. So there's that softening, that awareness of who she's talking to. That she was able to communicate her frustration. Church, sometimes we want to paint everything that happens in life in this nice, pretty bow, you know, package with a bow on it. But not everything happens that way. We can't put a bow on everything and make it look good. If I bought, brought, went out to Ryan's place and grabbed a big bag of, or a big bunch of manure from his horses, and put it in here, and put it in a nice pretty basket, and put a bow on it, I don't think there's anybody here would think that was pretty. Some of you, if I gave you that as a gift, would think that's offensive. And you'd be right. Why do we try to make every picture in church pretty? Life is hard. People die. Things break. We need to quit trying to paint everything as a, as a pleasant, happy-go-lucky moment. Because it's not. But the truth is, we have the ability to come and talk to Jesus and voice that frustration. But we also have the responsibility to acknowledge who He is on the other side. It is share the frustration, come back and say, but I know you are God. <laughs> and I know God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus told her in 23, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Martha's still not picking up with Jesus, you know. 
her focus is, uh, yeah, when, at the end, we know he's going he's gonna to go to be with you. He loves you. This is where Jesus is starting to try to drive home that truth. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Not that I will be, I am the resurrection. And anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? This is such a significant moment. Again, he goes back to this word, do you believe? That was what he, he dealt with with the disciples is a moment of belief. I think Jesus was wanting to see if all the things that he had been sharing with Mary or with Martha um, had sunk in. And Martha, in verse 27, said, Yes, Lord, she told him, I have always believed you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. I've always believed those things. He had this sense of Mary having no, or Martha having knowledge, but still missing something in that answer. But Martha left, and it says in verse 28, she returned to Mary, and she called Mary aside from the mourners and told her, the teacher is here and wants to see you. Now, there, I don't know if there was a level of conversation that Jesus had with Martha that we were not giving, given privy to, or if Martha was just frustrated and hurt, and she wanted Mary to get out of the house and go talk to Jesus, because she didn't want to be the only one in this moment. But she went and said, Mary, Mary um, Jesus, is the teacher is here. The teacher is here and wants to see you. So Mary immediately went to him. Jesus stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. And when the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave, so hastily they assumed she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep. So they followed her. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet. Again, Mary, it's a common place. Mary at the feet of Jesus and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. My brother would not have died. And this is where it starts getting a little interesting, I think. In verse 33, says, When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger <laughs> welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. He had spent three years, some very intimate moments with these people, sharing his heart. He, he sat at their table, he was a regular guest in their home. They knew the stories. Martha recited, yes, we know you are the Son of God, the Messiah, that you've come to save the world. We know! But there's one way of knowing things, and then there's a way of knowing things. Okay? 
See, there's a head knowledge and a heart knowledge. And I think too many times we approach our relationship with God with a level of head knowledge because we don't want to die. We don't want to burn in hell. We, we don't. We come to church. We fulfill our obligations to make sure everybody sees us, to make sure God sees us doing everything we, we're supposed to do. We give our, our alms at the church every week. We, we do all these things. I know some of you think, I, I haven't given any arms this week at all. You give your money. You tithe. Because that was how they, they used to uh, regulate how, how important of a believer you were by how much you gave. So many times we, we regulate or we evaluate our relationship with God based upon our acts of service, not about where our heart is. And I think what's coming out here, and it's what's causing Jesus to be angry and frustrated, deeply troubled, because Jesus knew he was leaving soon. There is not time to correct some of these behaviors. Here's one you'll relate to. How many of you as a parent have ever had one of those moments that um, you have to remind your kid one more time to do something that you have told him a hundred times? That you've showed him how to do a hundred times? And you have to do it one more time. And you come across a little snarky. Is that a good word for you? You come, a, you come across a little harsh, a little angry. It's like, let me show you one more time. <laughs> See, I, I, I think of Jesus' tone as he's talking to him. It's like, yeah, I am sure he's frustrated. And he's angry. And what is Jesus' next reply? He says, where have you put him? <laughs> and they told him, Lord, come and see. And next we have the shortest verse in the Bible, verse 35, Jesus, then Jesus wept. And there is, there is a lot of discussion about this verse as to the, um, the motivation of his weeping. There are those that talk about that Jesus wept because of the close relationship with Lazarus. That he was sad that um, all this had happened to him. That, that may be it. I, I have two other options that, you know, are also viable. One of them, I think there could be that level of sadness that he has to bring him back. I mean, Jesus knows where he's at. But I think more so from what the context of the story shares with us, I think Jesus was more sad at those that he had spent so much time to and the people around him that had missed the point. That his heart was breaking, that these people that had, he had invested the truth in so much still missed the message. They still, they still weren't understanding what he was trying to do or say. 
So Jesus wept. 36, the people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. (laughs) See, again, that's our thought process. I think it's more. See, I believe the fruit of a, a life of transformation is at some point we start doing that which we've been taught to do. We're, we're talking about transformation. The power of Christ to transform a life. For me, when I got saved, there was an immediate transformation in certain areas of my life. I lost the desire to swear, to smoke, and do a lot of other things that I was doing that I wasn't supposed to do. Immediately, the day that I asked Jesus into my life, I lost those desires. Now, there were some other things that I learned through a process of study and watching and observing other people and teaching and all those things. Those things took more work. And there are some lessons that I fall back on or fall back, fall away from that I have to keep revisiting at different times. Because I haven't fully brought transformation into my life. And our lives are about this process of transformation that is going to make us into the image of Christ to the world. I think Jesus was so frustrated here that the people that he had invested in and spent so much time with had missed some of those, those valuable heart moments. Verse 37 says, um, but some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Jesus, or Lazarus from dying? Verse 38, we have an emphasis. Jesus was still angry. As he arrived at the tomb. Nothing that the people had done at this point. Their tears had not consoled him. He was still angry. Arrived at the tomb. A cave with a stone ruled across its entrance. Jesus says, roll the stone aside. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested. Lord, he has been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see the God's glory if you believe. How many times have we missed the moment that God wanted to reveal His glory if we just believed and waited? Now I can tell you numerous times in my life that I believe God wanted to do something and I went out and did it myself. (laughs) Okay? There have been times where I've been Um, I've had an immediate need for something in my life. Maybe it was a car or something, and I mean, I was desperate. And um, I felt God say, you're supposed to just wait on me and trust in me. (laughs) And I went out and got a loan. You know? (laughs) When uh, when I was in um, college, my... my, um, between my freshman and sophomore year, I'd come home from Oregon back to Ohio, and uh, 
I was determined I was going to take a car back with me to college. And um, I went out and bought it. <laughs> I got a loan. And two days later, the engine blew up on this car. And uh, the, the person would not honor anything, and I had no money because everything I had was invested in a car that no longer worked. And so I had to go back to school without a car and pay off a loan. <laughs> so I, I blew it because I was determined I was going to do it my way. Jesus is looking at the, the sisters. He's looking at Martha and said, Martha and said uh, I told you that you would see God's glory if you believe. So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. What an intimate moment that we are brought into. Jesus talking to his Father. Thank you. He's thanking God the Father for th for hearing him. And then this acknowledgement, you always hear me. <laughs> Church, I don't care where you're at in life, God the Father hears you when you talk to him. You may not realize it, but at some point you have to acknowledge it that he always hears you. Just because he doesn't answer the way you think or want doesn't mean he doesn't hear you. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of these people standing here so that they will believe. Again, we come back to that word, believe that you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. Now, there, the scholars were saying that it was very important that you understand that Jesus acknowledged Lazarus by name. Because if he had just said come out, every dead person around would have been coming up. There is that much power. There is that much power. And verse 44 says, And the dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told them, Unwrap him and let him go. Church, this is such a significant moment because it is a precursor to Christ's own death and resurrection because he was going to be dead and in the grave for three days. How many times have we been disappointed because God didn't do things in our time? How many times have we missed the point of everything that the Scriptures have tried to teach us? I can think of times that I have, I have sat down and I've walked with someone through the Scriptures. And then I step back and I say, okay, tell me what you heard. And they start reciting those things back and I'm thinking, 
Where in the world did you get that? And let me be honest. Sometimes we're off because we interpret everything through our experiences, our limited base of knowledge. And we want to evaluate all that God says. And and we want everything that God says to fit in our world. It is not part of this world. (laughs) Okay? He came into this world to save us. I also started thinking, how many times have I caused Jesus to be angry because I have chosen to live in opposition to what he's taught me? That I've fallen short? How many times have I disappointed my Savior because I have not changed my behavior? And unfortunately, I have more than three years to speak to. Okay? If Jesus was frustrated at them after three years of time, at some point we have to understand, yes, we serve a loving God, a loving Savior, but that doesn't mean he doesn't get angry with us, that he doesn't get frustrated with us. Now, he still loves you. I still love my kids, even if they don't do something that I want them to do. That whether what they do or don't do doesn't change my love. That doesn't mean that I haven't ever gotten angry with them or frustrated with them. Even now, they're adults and they make their own decisions. But I still have that potential to get angry because there's still a level of expectation. Their mother and I have spent time teaching them certain things, modeling certain things, and we still have a level of expectation on what we want from them. Church, I think it is important as we approach Passion Week that we start evaluating, are we aligning ourselves to the things that God has instructed us to do? Have we changed? Have we experienced transformation that someone could look at us in our life and see Jesus? If not, we have to keep evaluating the things that we're doing and applying to our lives. This is a hard next couple weeks. And we should not just, yes, Resurrection Sunday is amazing, but the events that take place from the next two weeks in our lives and in the church history really are some of the cruelest, some of the harshest, some of the most uh, uh, revealing times regarding the nature of man, regarding our nature. And we understand why the Apostle Paul says that I crucify my flesh daily. And let me just tell you, if there's a day that you get up and you don't immediately begin to crucify the flesh, you leave opportunity for the flesh to manifest itself throughout the day. And we should evaluate the events of the next two weeks in church history and how they apply to us today. So now I know I've given you a lot. We've covered 44 verses, which is not normal for me in a Sunday morning, and I didn't look at my watch intentionally. It's only 10 after 12, so so we're doing good. You still have time to get lunch. But uh, hear me. 
A relationship with God is not always pretty. God is not always happy with you. His love doesn't change, but he does have an expectation that you will. (laughs) God expects that you will be different as a result of this message. A different awareness of God's word is supposed to bring about transformation. Scripture says that God's word will always accomplish what it was sent out to do. Not my words, but his words will change you. So this week, I want you to reflect on where you're at in your life. Begin to evaluate, am I fully walking out the things that God has already convicted me of? Or are there things that I know that I'm doing that God's convicted me of, but I intentionally ignore? It is your responsibility to bring alignment with your life and the will of God. To be part of the transformation. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this opportunity today to worship you. I thank you for the revealing nature of your word and how it convicts, how it instructs, and realigns us to the proper way of living and doing things. And I pray that this week as we process and, and uh, allow these thoughts to come back to mind throughout this week, that we will evaluate our level of transformation into the image that you've called us to be. Are we making progress in our faith? I pray that you would guide and direct us, that you would allow us to see even a glimpse of some of those moments that we cause frustration so that we will come to an awareness of the pain that we cause you. And that we would also see your love as you continue to bring about your plan in our lives because your desire is to still fulfill the will of the Father working through our lives. So I thank you for that. I pray your blessing today upon us as we approach these events that we may celebrate the resurrection in our lives and promote it to our community. In your name, amen. Praise God. This morning, uh, we're going to wait upon you for a morning tithes and offering. We are thankful for your faithfulness and your giving and, uh, and your service to the kingdom. Praise God. Um, let us pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We pray your blessing uh, on the offering, uh, that it would be multiplied to meet the needs of your kingdom. And, and we pray in the midst of all the things that are going on, Father, that we would See your glory revealed through the events that we have trusted and believed in you. We thank you for these things, and we ask for this in your name. Amen. God bless you. When uh, the, off- or the ushers are, are done there, we uh, release you just to fellowship among yourselves. And uh, don't forget about signing up for uh, Greeter for the workday. Also, uh, Isaac has a sign-up out there for the outreach for this coming Friday. Um, it's just an awareness so he knows how many people are going to be heading down there. Um, so just let us know in uh, the workday as well because th- then it lets me know how many people I need to order food for and stuff like that. So God bless you. Have a great week.
I'll let you know by next week.
Thank you. Yeah.